I had woke up early that morning before my alarm even went off. And uh, I went ahead and took a shower the night before to get that out of the way. I laid out my clothes, all ready to get dressed. So I got up, brushed my teeth, put on my clothes, went and slammed a bowl of cereal, went back, brushed my teeth again. And then I had some chores because it was Saturday, knocked out some chores, got those done. And then I sat and I waited. And I waited and I waited. And so first he was 15 minutes late. No big deal, just kind of paced a little bit. And then he was a half hour late. Okay, now I'm getting a little nervous, turn on the TV to kill some time because you know how slow the clock goes when you're waiting, right? So I waited. And after about an hour of waiting, the phone rang. And although my mom took the call in the other room, I could tell by how flat her voice was the outcome of the call. And so when she came back around the room, she said, son, I'm sorry, he's not going to be able to make it today. And just through tear-filled eyes as a little boy, I said, but he promised. But he promised he'd be here. And she said, I know, son. I'm sorry. You know, I definitely was sad. I was definitely crushed. But I was becoming accustomed to the disappointment because my birth father would oftentimes say that he would come visit me, come pick me up, come take me for a visit. But very few times did he ever actually follow through. And so I learned pretty quick that it's hard to find people who can keep their promises. Maybe you've had a mom or a dad or a spouse or someone you love or care about break their promise to you. Or maybe you're the violator. Maybe you're the one that breaks the promises. But here's what we can just stand strongly on. We have a God. We have a Father who always keeps His promises. Always keeps His promises. They may not come when we want. They may not come exactly how we want. But God has never failed us in keeping his promises. And as we continue in this series called Liberated, where we're going through the book of Galatians, we're going to be reminded today again of God's faithfulness, of God's goodness, of God's generosity to us as a father who would never fail us. So let's pray, and then we'll dive right in. Lord, you are holy, and you are awesome, and you are good. And Father, people disappoint. We disappoint others. Others disappoint us. But Lord, you don't disappoint. So Father, help us to be patient in waiting for fulfillment of your promises. Some, maybe not even till this other side of life. Lord, some maybe we'll see within the next hours or days. Lord, you're faithful in keeping your promises. And Lord, I pray for all of us, wherever we're at in our walk with you, whether we don't even know you yet personally, or whether we've been walking with you for decades, Father, would you help us to draw closer to you, learn more about you, and apply whatever you want to speak to us about today in your word. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ. We all said together, amen. Please open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be. So open up your Bibles, fire up your Bible apps. If you do not own a Bible, we'd love to give you one as a gift for free. You can get one in the information center on your way out. And as you turn there, just a quick point from last week. For those who weren't here, or maybe uh, for those of you who are exploring Christianity, and if that's you, by the way, we're just glad you're here. Uh, you're safe. You're among people who've taken your same journey. And as you're exploring the idea of God and forgiveness of sins and eternity and heaven and all that stuff, uh, our hope is that today you'll experience a loving community and you'll get some answers uh, to some of the questions that you have. But last week I shared how the Bible teaches that we receive salvation of our souls and the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, by faith alone in Christ alone. Now, I use the phrase, the Latin phrase, sola fide, which means faith alone. 
And so we know that uh, our souls get saved not by works, not by good deeds, not by a roll of the dice, not by whatever. It's only through faith in Christ alone as the Bible teaches. Also, this is a huge part of what God is trying to communicate through the Apostle Paul when he had him pin this letter to uh, several groups of Christian churches, young Christian churches in the first century that lived in a region called Galatia. That's why it's called Galatians. And uh, these these, uh, people were living in modern-day Turkey. But there's also so much more that happens to us and for us when we place our faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins. One especially critical and beautiful transformation that happens is that when we come to Christ, Uh, We are no longer uh, uh, just a person out there trying to figure it out, but we become a beloved child of God, or as we like to say around here, uh, that beloved child right there, okay? And so that means that we are not identified, we are not um, defined by, nor is our identity rooted in what we have and what we don't have. We're not defined by our failures. Some of you are like, oh, good. (laughs) We're not defined by our successes. We're not defined by what others think about us. Our identity is rooted in, and we're defined by how God sees us through the eyes of our Father. And so when we come to Christ, we become this beloved child of God. And one verse that we're going to look at in a minute, but I want to put it on the front end, that really summarizes, even frames, everything we're going to look at is Galatians 3.26. I'm going to put it on the screen just to get us a jump start. It says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God, through faith. Repeat that with me, please. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Meaning, it's in Christ alone, not ourselves, not any other religious system, not any other religious leader, but it's in Christ that uh, we find salvation. And it's something that you are all, meaning all believers. And by the way, not just here, but pretty much most of the time, if not all the time, when you see the word you, in this book of Galatians, and many other places in Scripture, it's plural. We tend to look at the Bible through a very, um, you know, myopic lens and go, it's just me. Yes, the things that we're reading apply to us as individuals, but it also applies to us as a community. And so he's saying, in Christ, all of you, our Texas friends would say y'all, right? Okay, uh, y'all, okay, um, are sons of God. Those, there's that word, the beloved children. Through what? Faith. It's not works. It's not law. It's not religious rules. It's not through uber tolerance of whatever. It's through faith in Christ. And God has given a promise for those who believe that, that through him and faith in him, that those people will receive forgiveness and they'll receive a new identity as his child and a guarantee of eternity in heaven. And so everything's going to really be framed in by that understanding. With that being said, let's uh, move through some verses this morning. We're going to start with Galatians 3.15. And really just going to walk through some passages of Scripture with you and unpack them as we go. So let's start with Galatians 3, 15 through 18. Paul's trying to uh, find some analogies and metaphors to help us understand the relation of everything we're talking about here. He says, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is who? Christ. Who's the offspring of Abraham? Christ. It says right there, all right? This is what I mean. The law 
which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it is no longer coming by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Uh, Paul is using a human example here to get across something, that when we as people uh, write a will, once we sign on it, it's legally binding. That's it. It can't be changed. And so even if I got home after doing my will at the legal office, if I was like, oh, hey, I forgot something. Can you just write that in? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, you just can't change it like that. Once it's been written and signed on, it's in place. He's saying God has an inheritance that he's going to give, and it's a promise that he's made, and once he says he's going to do it, it's not going to change. It's not going to be undone. It's irrevocable. He's trying to picture this irrevocable understanding, and so we need to start with this understanding that God has indeed given us a promise. He's given us an inheritance. He says, I'm going to give you this inheritance. We see the word inheritance and the word promises uh, that he said here. So he's got a promise and he's got an inheritance for us. What is it? Well, he starts to bring on this understanding of who Abraham is. He says this, this promise, this inheritance is going to come through the offspring of Abraham. So we look at Abraham, who is this pagan guy, did not worship God. And God grabbed a hold of his heart and brought him to the worship of the one true God. He started the Hebrew nation with him. And he made specific promises. When you go to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, uh, you see these promises that were repeated multiple times over scriptures, but uh, here we see basically three main promises. One, that uh, God's going to give him land. He's got a promised land. We saw that as the land of Canaan, which even now refers to uh, the modern day of Israel as well. Uh, he's going to uh, bless him as, as a father of a nation, that this childless elderly couple would have many descendants. Well, now you have millions and millions and millions of Jews and Arabs all point back to Abraham as uh, the, you know, their, their ancestor. And he says he was going to bless the nations through him. Not meaning like him. I mean, he only has so many years, right? It means through his ancestors and one specific ancestor, the offspring who's been identified here and in multiple places as Christ. And through Christ, he's going to bless because it's in Christ that we're going to find our salvation. These are promises that have been kept by God. He made the promises, he keeps the promises. And so the inheritance, and as we understand it, as, as we fast forward, the inheritance isn't just something that was literal and immediate in a moment to Abraham and the land of Canaan and the, you know, the, his early ancestors, but it's a, a promise and inheritance that's going to transcend time and includes us. We now have the opportunity to be recipients through the offspring of Abraham, Christ, to receive an inheritance or the promise of God. Now, if I were to sit down with uh, my kids and just say, hey, guys, we just got back from the legal office, uh, your mom and I, and um, we went ahead and wrote down an inheritance for you guys. They're not going to go, oh, that's cool, thanks. They're like, really? What's in it? <laughs> what do we get? What do we get, right? That's what we're typically thinking. What do we get? Well, what's in our inheritance? What's in our promises? Well, obviously, the salvation of our souls, we inherit that through Christ. Uh, we get the blessings that come with salvation and how we get to walk in those now through Christ. But a lot of our inheritance is waiting for us. It's in heaven. You know, the scriptures tell us that this unfading uh, promise, this inheritance is waiting for us in heaven. And so with our inheritance, we know that there's going to be things we get. There's things that come with the presence. So there's a presence of God. There's a presence of joy and peace. The unimaginable joys of heaven waiting for us as an inheritance. There's also going to be an absence of certain things. 
There'll be no sin. There'll be no evil. There'll be no death, destruction, uh, anxiety, whatever. There's not going to be any of that when we inherit the promise of God. And so we have this promise out there waiting for us. And a big part of this inheritance is this concept of justification by faith, being made positionally, relationally right uh, through the offspring of Abraham, through Christ. And so this is a signed uh, document in the eyes of God, and it's irrevocable. It's not going to change. So when the law came online, it didn't change the, the, the will and testament of God, if you will, his promise, his inheritance. Now, when we talk about law, um, this is the image I want to use. This is what I want you to think about when you think about law. Because when we look at law, we know that it was hundreds of commands and you know, things to obey in the first five books of the Bible, otherwise known as the Torah, the Pentateuch, right? And so we had hundreds of Jewish laws that were moral laws, social laws, laws related to worship, all these, all these aspects, uh, especially circumcision was a big part of that in their culture. And so we see all of that as the law. Well, when the law came online, it didn't do away with the promise or inheritance. Well, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? Well, for those of you who've been with us, you know this, but if you're newer, newer, there's this group of people that started infiltrating the Galatian church in the first century, and they were called the Judaizers. And some of them probably had good intentions, a bunch of them probably did not, but basically what they're saying is, yes, God has given us a promise. God has given us inheritance. But here's the thing. You have to get through the law to get the inheritance. You have to do all these things to get your inheritance. And so you've got to you know, make sure you're obeying the dietary laws. You've got to make sure all your boys are circumcised. You've got to be circumcised before you're baptized. And so you've got to get through the law to get to your inheritance and the promise of God. And Paul is losing his mind because like, he's the one that shared the gospel with these people. He's the one that laid out that it's faith alone and Christ alone. He's going, what are you doing? He goes, that doesn't even make sense. He goes, that doesn't even make chronological sense because we were first given the promise, then we were given the law. Like when you read the Bible, I was talking to a couple people today, they're like, wait, didn't like Noah have the law? Like, no. Like it wasn't like Abraham, you know, Adam and Eve and then boom, the Ten Commandments, right? It was God gave a promise, he gave inheritance, and then later the law came online. And so he's going, these people are telling you this, but in reality, this came afterwards, so how can you be this first when this came after? He goes, that doesn't make sense, because God gave this with a promise to Abraham, that if he had faith and believed him, he received, and he did, and that transcends to us through Christ. That's why we look at verse 18. Paul's saying, if the inheritance comes by the law that no longer comes by a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So is the law bad? Is there a purpose in the law? Like, what's the point of the law? He goes, I'm glad you're thinking that. He goes, look what I'm going to say next, okay? Galatians 3.19. Why then the law? It was added because you're a bunch of terrible people. It's not what it says, but that's what it means. <laughs> All right? He says it was added because of transgressions. Like, this is not a word that we use very often nowadays. Like, I haven't really heard a wife or a husband say, like, you transgressed against me. <laughs> I haven't heard that. Or, you know, like, if you fail, you know, like, hey, honey, I'm really sorry. I feel like I really transgressed against you. But that's what happens here, right? It's sin. It's willful, you know, reactionary sin. Because of transgressions until, everyone say until, 
It was added because of transgressions until the offspring, who's who? Christ, should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place, the law was put in place through angels by an intermediary. And an intermediary implies more than one. Basically, there's more than one person involved here, but God is one. It's all from God. Is the law contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. And so why do we have the law? The law has been used by God to basically reveal to us how bad we are. And think about it. The Ten Commandments are just part of the law. It's just one section of the law. We have a hard enough time with ten, let alone hundreds. In fact, if we break down the Ten Commandments, we can say we have a hard enough time with just one of the ten. Like, for example, let's just skip to the Tenth Commandment. Thou shalt not covet anything your neighbor has. Okay? Not their ox, not their donkey. Not Some of you are going, I'm good. I've never coveted my neighbor's donkey. I'm, I'm good. Dude, we've all broken that one. You see their neighbor's house, and you see their landscape, or their furnishings, or how they painted it, or what they built. You see their ride, like, dang, I'd love to have that ride, you know? Must be nice. We've all looked at something that someone else had and went, ooh, I want that. And here's the way the law works. If you break one, you break it all. How many lies do you need to tell to be a liar? One. How many things do you need to take before you're a thief? One, all right? How many times do you need to cheat on something to be considered a cheater? One. How many laws do you need to break in God's law to be a lawbreaker? One. Like an egg, man. If thing breaks, it's all over. And God's going, I'm going to give you the law so that you can take a good look at yourself and go, dang, I can't keep that. I can't do it. And so the law has purpose. The law is there to kind of reveal and sensitize and restrain sin. And here's the deal with the law. It was temporary. It still has value. It still has significance, but we don't live under the law. We live with the law, but we don't live under it. Look at verse 19. Again, it says, we were under the law until the offspring should come. Meaning that once the promise arrived, once Christ arrived and fulfilled his work of dying on the cross for the sins of mankind and raising from the tomb to demonstrate his victory over sin and death, we don't live under the law. It was a temporary part of God's plan. Now note here, Paul's clarifying, you know, as he's talking to a a significantly Jewish audience or Jewishly influenced audience, you can already hear some of the people that are the Judaizers going, well, hold on, man, are you you throwing Moses under the bus? Are you throwing the law under the bus? He's going, no, 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 no. I'm just trying to tell you how superior that faith is. Because he goes, for example, when the law came, okay, God sent it through a middleman. He used Moses. And, and, and he delivered some of the law through angels. So it's still from God. It's still of God. But God used the middleman. Hey, Moses, here's the law. Take it down to the people. Get them, get them up to date. They need to know what's going on. All right? I'm going to hold them to it. How did he give the promise to Abraham? He directly gave him the promise. No middleman. And so he's saying, God used the middleman here. So it's important. It has value. But he didn't use a middleman here. The promise, the inheritance is superior. It's great. And you don't need the law to get to the promise. And so the law is not bad. The law uh, is, is not something that's insignificant. Paul's not condemning the law. He's highlighting how much better and sweeter faith is over law or works 
or religious rules or religious duty. The law, as useful as it is, has limits. Verse 21 says the law did not give life. So law helps us identify sin. It helps us be aware of sin. It attempts to help us deal with sin through religious actions. But the law does not offer forgiveness. The law does not cover sin. The law does not make someone righteous. The law does not pay a penalty for sin. God brought the law to trigger a hunger for a Savior who could come and die for sin, who could come and bring forgiveness and righteousness and impart that to those who believe. This is how God was setting things up. And so before the coming of the promised Savior, a person felt enslaved to sin, enslaved to the law, and a life of trying to check off all the little boxes. I mean, look at verse 23 and, uh, 20, 22 and 23 of Galatians 3. It says, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So basically, when we live under law, always trying to check the list, always trying to do the right things, hoping it's good enough, it leaves us feeling enslaved, captive. And by the way, for the Jews, that means all the Jewish laws, but that's not just unique to them. Every other religious system has a list, right? You've got to say these prayers. You've got to do these things. You've got to not do this. All religions, except for Christianity, which is based on faith alone and Christ alone, says you've got a list to check. And just like I told you guys last week, about a conversation I had with a young man in Indonesia, he basically said, I'm doing my best to check the list, and in the end, I'm just going to hope for the best. I hope it's enough. And You know what that's called? That's called slavery. It's called feeling trapped. And you guys know what it feels like, right? You know what this feels like. This is when you get serious about God, and you go, okay, this one sin, this one thing that's just, uh, it's just getting me, okay, Lord, no more. I'm not going to think that way anymore. I'm not going to do that thing anymore. I'm not going to talk that way anymore. I'm not going to go to that place anymore. I'm not going to do that one thing anymore. So we're not going to do it. And then some time goes by. Hours? <laughs> Days, weeks, months, however long. And guess what? Bam! Shows its ugly head again. You're like, duh! And you just feel like a spiritual loser, right? You're like, man, I just... I did it again. So, okay, Lord, I'm going to try harder, do better. And you do. And then at some point, maybe, and I'm going to do better, try harder. And around and repeat and repeat and repeat. You know what that's called? Slavery. Captivity. The law can't break us free of that. Only a savior can break you free. Works can't break you free. Only faith in the Savior can break you free. And so that's why the law was an interim way that God dealt with man until the one came who could fully and finally deal with sin. And once he comes, and once we place our faith in him, what happens? Well, Paul now switches to another analogy. He's moving away from that legal talk. He's becoming more relational in this conversation. Look what happens. Look at Galatians 3.24. He says, so then the law was our guardian. Now he's using this terminology of like, like he's watching the kids. He's watching the kiddies, all right? So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by what? Faith, not works, it's faith. 
But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. And here's our verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male, no female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. I just want to see if you guys follow that part, okay? Uh, We are no longer what? Slaves. We then become what? Sons. And if you're a son, then you become an heir to the inheritance, to the promise. He goes on using this language of of parent and relationship. He says, I mean that an heir, this is Galatians 4.1, I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of the son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The way that God says you're going to get this is not through this. It's through this. It's relationship. It's adoption. It's coming to the Father as a child. You could do stuff all day long and never get to the inheritance and the promise, but once you realize that the offspring's come, that Christ has come, that he died on the cross for your sin, that he rose from the grave, then you enter into a relationship, and the outcome of this relationship is inheriting the promise, inheriting the inheritance that he has for us. It's this. This is so hard for people to wrap their mind around. Because if we're going to be honest, we want to do this. I want to I bring something. Like, I, I achieved this somehow. I achieved the promise. No, Christ achieved the promise. And if you enter into a relationship with them, then you get it too. This is how we need to understand what's being said here. So it's the relationship. Well, what's the point of the law? The law was a guardian. Just like a parent who, who leaves and says, I'm going I'm to put my child under the care of this person until the real parent comes. That guardian controls a lot of things, but they don't really, they're not in a parent-child relationship in this, in this context. They're just managing. And so the law was this guardian until Christ came. And once he came, he redeemed us. The word says he redeemed us there through his sacrificial death, through his victorious resurrection. And so now, as children of God, we're not just saved from hell. We're not just saved from sin. We're saved to heaven. And we're saved to holiness. Some of that holiness we can experience now. You're not going to be sinless once you're a Christian, but you can sin less. But one day, when you receive your full inheritance, guess what? Sinless. And that's to come. And so for in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. Now, I want to look at some of the family dynamics in the culture, understanding adoption here, because we understand adoption through our modern eyes, modern culture, and there's several things that might be missed here that I don't want to miss. Okay, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul as impressed by God. Who did he write it to? What's the name of the book? The Galatians. Okay, is it just the Galatian women? No. Is it just the Galatian men? No. And he says in this book, you're all sons. 
It's like, well, time out. The lady's like, wait, hold on a minute. Why, why didn't say the word daughters, okay? And we just have to go back to understand the patriarchal nature of adoption and inheritance. And so the name of the father is given to the son to carry on. And therefore, a lot of times, the blessings and the possessions and the responsibilities of the family were passed on to the son to carry on. The beauty of this language is saying, you all are sons. It's incorporating man and woman, right? Because he's saying, once you're mine, you all have my name. You all get what I have, and you all have the responsibility to carry on the family business, which is to live for the Lord and glorify him and help others to come to Christ. And so that's what happens when we're sons. We all inherit that sonship, and we're brought into this family of faith and unity. We look at verse 28, where it says there's no Greek or Jew, right? There's no uh, slave or free. There's no woman or uh, man. What there's, what's happening here, he's not doing away with distinction. He, he's not homogenizing everybody and saying, oh, it doesn't matter. Pick your gender, uh, pick, pick your ethnicity, pick whatever. It's all good. You're all the same. No, he's saying discrimination is gone now in the faith. Pastor Rick talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? That at the foot of the cross is level ground. And so he's saying, look, for those of you, because if you remember, the Jews thought they were superior to the Greeks. Uh, a bunch of pagans, we obviously have arrived, and they're down here, so we're better. He's saying, uh-uh. If they're a Greek and you're a Jew, now there's no superiority. You have common status. You have the same status in the eyes of God. And so they're like, oh, we've got to wrap our mind around that. Slave and free, and we're not thinking just slave as in the sense of like the taskmaster, wickedness, evil slavery that we have seen through history, but sometimes slavery then looked like volunteer servitude. Like, hey, I can't make a living. I've got a disability. Um, would you take me on as your slave? I'll serve your home. Sure. And so this person is basically your servant in your home or in your business. And so it wasn't necessarily the abusive type, even though that happened often. And so now he's saying, hey, look, if you own a servant, guess what? <laughs> Same status if you're believers. Same status if you're believers. Men and women, you know, we know that in that culture and still in some pockets of Middle East, uh, women uh, are treated like property. And so they don't have a lot of value saying no more. In the faith, you guys have the same status before the eyes of God. So he's saying same status, so you're this family of unity, but yet there's still distinction. So that's where this, this uh, I don't know if you know this, people tend to abuse Bible verses. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> Happens. This is one of those verses Oh, yeah, see, there's no, yeah, it's all the same. No, it's not all the same. Because if that was the case, then why is Paul in Ephesians 5 saying, husbands, you act this way, wives, you act this way? There's distinct roles, even though they're equal status size of God. Why do you go, go on to Ephesians 6 and see, say, okay, masters, you act this way to your servants and servants. You act, he's not saying there's no distinctions. No, there's distinction. There's just no more discrimination. So shame on us for the sin of discrimination, but we still... Uh, in a Christ-centered way, live out the distinctiveness of who we are and how God made us. And so now we're part of this unity, this family of faith, and all believers are free and adopted, and we're no longer slaves to sin and having to let our, our nature rule us because now we have Christ. We're no longer slaves to the law because now we have a Savior who's fulfilled the law. Jesus didn't break any of the law because he was God in the flesh. And so he fulfilled the law on our behalf. And so when we look at that, it says, you're no longer slaves, but a son and of a son and heir through God. And it says here that we cry out, Abba, Father, that God gives us the Holy Spirit. And he cries out, Abba, Father. Uh, think about the beauty of adoption, that we get to call the, the children that were once in orphanages, 
that didn't have a mom and dad get adopted into a family now get to call that woman mom and that dad dad. And so when we're adopted in this relationship, when we start to live this out in Christ, it means that we get to God, call God Abba, which means father or dad. So for those of you who've experienced the beauty of adoption in your home, think about how peculiar it would be if, you know, you brought these kids into your home and they're now your kids. Because when you adopt, you're saying two things. You are mine and everything I have is yours. That's what adoption is. You're mine now and everything I have is yours. And so when you join your family together with adoption, imagine if that kid never felt comfortable addressing you as mom and dad. Fast forward for years, whether teenagers or adults, like, like, look, take my youngest, for example. What if my eight-year-old this morning woke up and said, excuse me, Chad, can I have some breakfast? Like, You're accurate. It just feels really funny, honey. You know, like, you can call me dad. Or what if, you know, in the evening, I tuck her in. She goes, oh, thank you, Mr. Allen, for tucking me in. That was great. I'd be like, okay, you're accurate in what you're calling me, but it's a relational disconnect. Call me dad. You can call me your father. Do you guys understand that when you come to Christ, guess what God says? You can call me God, but you know what's even a stronger connect? Call me dad. Call me father. It is a privilege to be able to call God father. And we don't want to lose sight of that. And we can do that because we're adopted as his children. And when we're adopted as his children, he gives us the Holy Spirit as a deposit on our inheritance. So it's kind of like this. You get some of your inheritance now knowing that more is coming. Some of you have had that with maybe, you know, an executor of a will, or maybe you've got, you know, I mean, just imagine with me, you've got like half a million dollars sitting in an inheritance that's coming your way at some point. But, you know, when you're 13, they're not going to give you half a million dollars, but they might give you 10,000 to hold over for the year, buy some clothes, do expenses, whatever. How would it make you feel, how would you live your life different knowing there's a fat inheritance just waiting for you that's coming your way? Would you have the same amount of stress? Would you be as worried? Exactly. God has this waiting for us in heaven. Pick your inheritance. Oh, I wish I had $100 million. Oh, that's cute. You know what God has for us waiting in heaven? Like eternity? Like heaven? That's waiting for us. So how should we live our life different now? Because we know. And the deposit of the Holy Spirit's been given. And now we've got this power of God in us. God's presence dwelling in us is going, that's just a little deposit of all that I have coming your way. You know when the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you're like, ooh, God's talking to me. Well, the Holy Spirit is like, you're going, I feel God's power. Like, man, I, I, that sin has no interest in me right now. Or like, man, this is crazy. I, I want to tell this person about the Lord. When you feel the, the power of the Spirit working through your life, like, this is amazing. And God's going, wait till you're in heaven and you and I are together 100% of the time and you have my full presence that you're in. So it's just a taste. It's just a deposit. And we have the Holy Spirit now in that. And so this, this, is, this is who God has made us as his children. He's had us put on Christ. It says here, when you look at, for example, oh, let's go to, um, I want to find it, Galatians 3.27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. See, when we become children of God, uh, we get baptized, not to be saved, but because we've been saved. But we've put on Christ first. And then baptism is this declaration, this picture of what God's done in our life, that we've died to self, we've died to the old, we've died to the law in a sense. We've been raised new as a child of God. It's a declaration, an expression of what's already happened, and that we've got a chance to put on Christ. 
Now, interesting thing in the Roman culture of adoption, uh, a lot of times they would, if they didn't have an heir, uh, they would find a young man and they would adopt him, whatever age they decide. And it says that that heir would become his son when the father declared it. Well, we saw here earlier that the father declares us his child. Also, it says uh, that we put on Christ. Part of the Roman culture, I think, that Paul was tapping into is when a, a child became an heir, they literally would take off the child's tunic and give them a new tunic that indicated that this person is now my heir. They belong to me. All that I have is theirs. So when you come to Christ, you get to put on Christ. And that's, again, God's way of saying, that person belongs to me. I've given my spirit as a pledge, as a deposit for all that's going to be theirs when this life is over. And so we celebrate all these things. But one of the ways we do that is through baptism. Uh, Pastor uh, Greg shared earlier on baptism, and some of you might have been here last week uh, before service and saw some of this, but I just want to tap into something that a sister in Christ at one of our most recent baptisms said about baptism, because I think it expresses a little bit about what we're talking about. So let's watch Sarah's uh, 60-second testimony here. When I started to come to CBC, it was the first church I'd really settled into in a while. I'd been trying to find a church at home without not a lot of luck, and eventually once I realized that CBC was the right place and I saw the way God had just worked things, how I'd been building a community, I'd just been growing in the church, and church, I started to think more about the topic of baptism, but I still didn't feel like it was the right time given that I was still just going through a lot of depression and everything. I guess I just didn't feel right with where I was at God to be baptized. I guess I thought I needed to be in a better place with God before being baptized. And it wasn't until my brother just kind of, he just called me one day and we were talking and he, he just asked me, why haven't you gotten baptized yet? And I just said, well, just haven't found the right time for it. And he just got all mad and he's like, there is no right time. Just do it the next time CBC has it. So day of baptism... I honestly just felt awkward the whole day. That was the only real feeling I had was this underlying feeling of awkwardness. I mean, Josh Stone was way more enthusiastic than I was about my baptism. And just, but though when I was in the water and he was praying over me, I just really felt God's presence in all, in all of that. And I knew that it was the right choice to make with doing the baptism just loves how real she was about that moment. But, you know, not only did she experience new life in Christ and really all that's hers through her adoption by the Father, but when it came time to declare her baptism, it was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then if you listen to the rest of her story, like how everything came online as she expressed who she was as a child of God. And I love that advice. And if you're a follower of Christ and you haven't been baptized yet, I'd encourage you to take Sarah's brother's advice, like just do it next time we offer it, you know, which is wall of slate coming up and you can uh, log on to that link and get all plugged into the baptism to celebrate your new life in Christ. But when we are a child of God, we put on Christ. It says here we're baptized in Christ. It means that we're going to declare and express who we are in that. So it's part of it. All right, here's what I want to do to wrap it up. Uh, if you have a, your notes out and a pen, get ready to use them. If you've got a device that you take notes on, I encourage you to write down the answers. I've got two questions for you that I want you to use as an application launching pad, all right? The first question is this. Because I've been adopted by God in Christ, I have, fill in the blank, whatever comes to mind, whatever's true for you. Because I've been adopted by Christ, I have, just think about that for a second. Write some things down. 
love to hear maybe just a few of you in what you said. So I'm going to look for some hands uh, just to help me stay focused. So what was a few of you want to share your answers really fast and stuff? I have what? The Holy Spirit. Hand? Salvation. Say again? Life ever after. Unction of love. New life. Wisdom. Okay, they're rocking it. Anyone over here? Say again? Exactly. Joy. Man, on and on and on. So look at that. Because I've been adopted by God, I have, and let that list build. Now I'm going to tweak the question a little bit. Because I've been adopted by Christ, I can fill in the blank. It's a little bit different. Because I've been adopted by God, I can what? Think about how your life should be different as a follower of Christ. Write those things down. Maybe just get a few responses looking for hands, okay? I can what? Be fearless, absolutely. Overcome temptation. Joy in the storm. Absolutely. Rest. That's been an every service, by the way. Okay, rest, absolutely. Anyone else? I can what? Do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Amen, okay? Fully trust. You guys see how this works? See, when, when we're a child of God, we've been adopted, and we are people who have this through this. We have so much more, and we can do so much more in our life as God intends. And so my application for you is this. Take these answers and lock them in, maybe build on them. Use them as prayer for the next week. Turn them into prayers of celebration, thanksgiving. God, thank you that because I'm your child, I have. Boom, 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 boom. God, thank you that because I'm your child, I can. Da, 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 da. Just let these be prayers of celebration. Put them in front of you. Don't forget these things. Let them maybe be a kickstart to your prayers over the next week. And see how that can help cement who you are in Christ in your life. You know, I look back on that little boy that was just so disappointed about broken promises. It's like, man, if you just hang on, and when you come to Christ, the man who experiences God's faithfulness every day and the goodness of our Father. And I don't, I don't know who's hurt you. I don't know who's broke the promises, but it's just a reminder that we've got to come to the Lord. Trust what he says. Believe what he said. Believe in who he sent to experience the faithfulness of the Lord and play that out. And if you're watching online live or whether you're here in person and you've never given your life to Christ, that's something you simply take that step of faith and do. You just tell God, God, I'm tired of doing the checklist, whatever that looks like. I'm tired of not being close to you. I've heard that you have this for me, <laughs> that you have an eternity, a heaven, a promise, an inheritance. And so I come to you right now by faith. I trust in your death on the cross. I trust in your resurrection. I want to follow you. You just tell the Lord that, and then take that step of faith. And if you do that, we want to help you grow. So before you leave this room, pull out your uh, response card, mark on there, coming to Christ, I've given my life to Christ, and uh, put that in the baskets that come around here shortly, and we'll get in touch with you and tell you how to grow. This is a relationship. You've got you to walk with the Lord. You've got to grow with the Lord. We want to help you do that. If uh, the buckets come by too fast, then just take it out to the... Uh, information center and just give it in person and we'll follow up with you there. So, um, man, we have so much from this God who loves us. So much that we can do because of this God who's adopted us. Let's leave here walking in it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, your mercy, your kindness, your generosity. 
Father, you have never broke your promises, ever. God, give us patience when we don't see the promise fulfilled. Give us trust when we don't like the way it's fulfilled because we think we could do a better job. (laughs) Forgive us for that. Father, thank you for turning us from slaves to sin, slaves to our emotions, slaves to law-keeping and rules, to faith, being sons and daughters who call you Abba. Help our lives glorify you. We ask in Jesus' name. We all stand together. Amen.